You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, when I was in elementary school, we would play a game in P.E. called Octopus. And the way the game worked was they would take all of us kids and line us up on one wall of the gym And when the coach blew the whistle, we had to run across the gym to the other wall. Not a particularly complex game. But the coach would always designate one kid as it. And when it tagged you, you didn't leave the game. You had to sit down wherever it was that you were tagged. And you became a participant in this great drama. You were part of its squad. You didn't have the mobility it had. But as you sat there, you could tag other kids. And they would have to sit as well. And so with each pass across the gym, this web of its evil intrigue would increase across the floor. And so... I remember the first round of this one particular day, I crossed the floor and crossed it again and was having a pretty good game. Made it several times through this web of evil. And yet right at the end of the game, I got tagged. It was very frustrating, didn't win. And so the next round came across and I'll be honest with you, second round, I got tagged very early. Uh, I wasn't focused, hadn't cleared my mechanism uh, to focus too much emotional energy in the last game. Got tagged early, sat down. So when the third game came across, I wanted to do this right. I wanted to be the winner. I wanted to be the last man standing. And so I was focused, man. The game started, I'm running across the gym, I'm back, I'm making moves, I'm getting past people, dodging hands, little people all over the place. And one by one, as the room increases with drama, I'm making it across the floor. Until at one moment, I remember I tagged the wall and it was close. And I remember looking out at this sea of humanity and thinking, I don't know how I'm going to advance in this web of darkness. So I looked along the line to size up my competition. Who's left? And next to me was a kid named Josh Mermis. And Josh was maybe 50 pounds soaking wet. Uh, He looked terrified. He was shaking. And I thought, this guy's toast. He doesn't have what it takes. And I looked past him. And on the other side of him was Brett Billick. Brett... uh, would go on to play lacrosse at Harvard, and even back then was just a strapping young man. And I remember Brett, as he looked over at us with all his confidence and muscles, I'll never forget, he looked over at Josh and myself, and he said, follow me, I know the way. I didn't have any better ideas, so I followed him. And I remember as the whistle blew, Brett took off, Josh behind him, and Ben. And sure enough, Brett's leading us through this network, and I'm making my way across. And yet at one point, about mid-room, I'm feeling good about me, and I see an opening over there, and I think I can advance if I go that way. I see Brett going that way, but I got a vision, so I start making my own moves, and I don't even notice I get hit, and I got to sit down. And like a second later, whistle blew. Coach says, that's it, winner. And he points over at two guys, Brett Millick and behind him, little Josh Mermis. Brett's the winner because he had the capacity to overcome. Josh was a winner because he had the good sense to stay in Brett's wake. Now, why do I mention that? 
because that's the book of Colossians. This little letter is a beautiful letter written to the believers in Jesus in a city called Colossae. Colossae wasn't a particularly large city. It was in Asia, modern-day Turkey, and the gospel had spread its way there through the ministry of Paul. The apostle Paul came to Christ, and as he was traveling to minister in the name of Jesus, went to a city called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul was able to secure a, uh, a venue where he would give evangelistic messages day after day for about three years. And as he did that, Luke says in the book of Acts that he was so successful that all of Asia was hearing the gospel from radiating out from this moment Paul had in Ephesus. And so Paul had never visited Colossae, but it was about a two, three-day journey from Ephesus. And as Paul preached, people put their faith in Jesus. And one of those people was a guy named Epaphras. He was a native of Colossae. He came to faith in Jesus and he took that message home and a church was launched there. And a young, fledgling group of believers began to grow in this really multi-ethnic community. Colossae was kind of an agrarian town along a riverside, and there were Phrygians there and Greeks, and a large Jewish contingent had moved centuries earlier. So it was a really mixed community of ethnicities, a mix of philosophy, and there in that mix, people came to put their faith in Jesus through the ministry of the local boy Epaphras. But Epaphras, Paul called him not just a, a fellow worker and saint. He calls him in a later letter a fellow prisoner. Apparently, Epaphras went back to meet with Paul, and Paul was imprisoned when he wrote this letter. Epaphras was either visiting him in prison or more likely imprisoned with him. And in that moment, he's telling Paul about this young fledgling church that Paul had never visited. He said, hey, these people have taken off. They've been rooted in the person of Jesus. And yet, a false teaching had began to weave its way in that they found themselves with a faith in Jesus, but like a lot of young people, they go, okay, but I wanna advance, I wanna move forward, I wanna progress as a human being, how do I do that? And here in this matrix of all this philosophy, some different ideas were putting put forth to them that yes, you began with a faith in Jesus, that's great, but if you wanna advance as a human being, if you wanna become better than you are now, let's kind of mix in some Greek philosophy, some Jewish ideas, and let's begin to mingle. You started with Jesus, and that's great. But if you want to grow to be a spiritual elite, you have to grab a philosophy about the fullness available through this different teaching. And so here in this moment, as Epaphras tells Paul about this, there's a teaching going on that's trying to help people move on, but move on not with Christ, but from Christ. Paul's going to write this letter, and he's going to tell the, Corinthians, or the Colossians, do you want to move forward in life? You don't move forward from Christ. You move forward with Christ. And it's the same for you and the same for me. Do you want to advance? And look, it's a new year. Everybody does. Everyone's looking at, hey, what's the next program to help me improve as a human being, to get smarter, to get stronger, to get fitter, to get wiser, to get happier? How do I advance? And what he's going to say here is that you don't grow apart from Christ. You grow with Christ. You don't outgrow him. You grow in him. And the letter of Colossians is a beautiful letter because it contains the highest, most exalted, beautiful praise of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It extols the authority and supremacy of Jesus, that he is above all earthly 
powers that they said back then in this kind of false teaching in Colossae that, man, you need to move on into the fullness by understanding these different philosophies. And Paul's going to argue to them, no, the fullness of the Godhead is in that man. You don't outgrow Christ. You grow with Christ. You don't outrun him. You will advance if you stay in his wake. This is a letter to young believers, a young church in a cosmopolitan city, giving them the roadmap of here's how you improve as an individual and here's how we grow as a community. And I got to tell you, church, that's why I'm so excited about doing this series together. We are going to soak in the scripture in Colossians. And let me tell you what I want to do in this time. I want us to grow in Christ. And let me tell you something, speed is the enemy of that depth. It's interesting, this week I read an article that was talking about how numbness is the hot feeling right now. People want to feel numb. That uh, sensory deprivation tanks are at an all-time high in popularity now. That I can put myself in a tank where I just block out all sensation. And you go, why is that hip right now? I think because everybody's a little fried which is the constant bombardment of crazy and anxiety and nuts in the world today, it's just become too much. Like, I don't know if you've been around a little baby as a newborn when their hands are open and they're screaming and kicking and you've asked what's going on and, and some wise older parent will say, that child's overstimulated. You ever heard that language? There's just too much stimulus, too much information, too much coming at them and the kid's like, ah, it's too much. And I think that's many of us. So we're looking for how do I, how do I kind of curl in and simplify and not get just the constant anxiety and anger pumping through the world today. And here's the reality. What I want us to do is see that, hey, speed is the enemy of death. So as we move into Colossae, let me tell you something. I don't want to go fast. I want us to slow down and sink deep so we can spring up. As we enter into this spring season together, I want us to grow. And here's the cool thing. Uh, we know where the city of Colossae is, but it's never been excavated. You can see the tell, that's the big mound uh, where you know the ruins of this ancient city is. But fantastically, it's never been unearthed and excavated by archaeologists. And the reason is because a big chunk of that tell is still farmed today. That every year... Seeds are put in the soil of Colossae and wheat comes up to feed the people. And what's wild about that is Paul in this letter will use agrarian imagery because of the fertile soil of the area. He'll say to them, I want you to bear fruit and increase. And then he's going to tell them how that you would be rooted in Christ and established in him and growing in him so that you will bear fruit and increase. And I love that picture because I want that to be true of you and me. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to increase, but you're going to increase by being sunk deep in him. I want us to be rooted in Colossians so that we can bear fruit in this spring season. So we're going to slow down. We're not going to go fast with this book. We're just going to do a couple verses at a time because too much is going fast in the world. I want us at church, take a deep breath. We're just going to do a couple verses at a time. But I want us to sink deep in the soil of Colossae so we can spring forth in this season and grow fruit. 
I've told the story before of a young man that came to Christ in my ministry when I was a youth pastor. And I encouraged him, man, you need to grow with the word of God. This is the nourishment that makes you grow. And as I shared that with him, I've told the story of he didn't know when to read his Bible of the rhythm. And so we kind of finally figured out about three o'clock in the afternoon after school, he had nothing going on. And the only place he could focus was his garage. And so at three o'clock every afternoon, he'd hide out in his garage. And I told him, write out the book of Colossians. And if you're going to write it out by hand, you do maybe a verse a day. And I said, that's fine, man. Go slow. Let, it, let that seed slowly sink into the soil of your soul and let it take root. Don't let it stay shallow. Let it sink deep. Seeds don't flourish in the shallows. Let them go deep in so they can spring to life. What I didn't expect would happen was over the next year, as I got to watch this man grow and develop, every time he hit some challenge in school, some relational difficulty, he had gotten Colossians so deep into him, he was constantly saying, you know, Ben, I was dealing with this relationship issue and it reminded me of Colossians. You know, Ben, I had this uh, decision I had to make and Colossians 3 says, and all through his life over the next year, he was able to navigate the complexities of life because he was lockstep with the supremacy of Christ. He was growing and flourishing because he had rooted so deeply in this word. And I want that for you and want that for me. And so we're going to slow down so we can spring up. And that's our idea. But I'll tell you where we're going to begin. We're just going to look at these first eight verses together. And here's all I want to do. I want to present you some good news. Isn't that great? That there are other emotions available in our world today other than anxiety and anger. Did you know that? They're possible for us. There are other emotional expressions to experience. And here's the great news. For Paul, there's some serious issues in Colossae. There's some false teaching that's dangerous. There's some activities that they're opening themselves up to that will hurt them. And so Paul, out of pastoral concern, is joining Epaphras and telling these young believers, hey, there's some ways of thinking that are destructive to you. There's some way of living that's not healthy for you. Here's some better ways to live. And so he's got to address some serious issues. And so do we, and we will. And yet, Paul is able to start with some good news. We do this in meetings all the time at church. We call them Jesus stories. Before we get into the, the, the issues we have to figure out as a church, let's pause to celebrate what it is Jesus is up to. And it's amazing the perspective shift that can have. I've told the story of when I ran a marathon with my sister and you know, when we were training for that marathon, I hated running. And so I let her know that at really every possible moment while we were training. As we began running, I'm like, my knees popping, my face hurts, my lungs feel like they're being dried out. We were just constantly complaining. And so the first month of training, I remember we just looked at each other and we were like, this isn't fun. We're not having any fun at all, I hate this. And then one of us, probably her, came up with the idea of, you know, we haven't talked to God about the fact that we wanna run this marathon together. And so we just started praying. And as we were praying, it dawned on us, yeah, running a marathon's a good goal. There's some things you can learn about life by training, but, but this is time that my sister and I get together every single day to train. Maybe there's some purpose to that. And then we realized, you know, we've let our mind get fixed on the negative things rather than fixed on some positive things. And so as we were praying, when we were done, we made a vow. Let's try to focus 
on the good things around us and not miss that in the midst of the obvious hard. And so it was awkward at first when we would begin running together. We'd start running and my knees hurt and elbows hurt, lungs hurt. But I would say, you know, surprisingly, my nose feels okay. There's no nose pain at all. It's weird. You know, my hair, it's, it's feeling good. And we would laugh about how ridiculous that was. But over time, as we focused on the legitimately good things around us, it began to shift our perspective, even as we faced the hard things. And Paul's got some difficult things he's going to approach. But at the beginning of this letter, he's going to start by focusing at some good things. He says, hey, Colossians, let me show you the movement of our message. Let me show you what God is doing on our behalf in the world. And if you want to outline it ahead of time, just for the rest of our time together, I just want to unpack two second sentences. He's going to tell them the message about a man that makes us holy and makes us a family. And he's going to say this message is deeply personal and this message is global. So let's just take it frame by frame, people. Verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This was a standard greeting in that day. You would introduce yourself by name and then talk about the people that you're writing it to and then give a word of greeting. This is kind of a typical layout like songs today, kind of go verse, verse, chorus, verse, bridge. It's that sort of thing. And yet Paul would take this common structure and he would fill it with theology and fill it with deep feeling because that's our message, that we have light for the mind and heat for the heart. And even as something as rote as introducing yourself by name and then their name and then a wish of blessing, Paul will shoot all of that through with deep theology and deep feeling because that's our message, light and heat. And Paul will often tip his cards as to where his letter's going right here in the intro. And I got to tell you, there's a mini sermon, even in that first word, Paul. His name was Saul. That's the name his mama gave him. Saul was part of the Jewish educational elite in his day and then had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life. And here as he writes this letter, he introduces himself as Paul. That was how he was known in the Hellenistic Roman world, that his name as he exited the banks of his ethnic community and went out into a wider public sphere, rather than call him Saul, his Jewish name, they would call him Paul. And, and your name changing as you cross ethnic lines was pretty common. You see it in the Bible, uh, Yeshua in Hebrew, as it journeyed into Greek context, became Yesu, because it was the way they'd pronounce it. They'd hear a Jew say Yeshua, and they're like, Yesu? And then when it got Anglicanized, we say Jesus. Jesus. They didn't have that hard J sound in Hebrew or in Greek, but his name kind of changed in some inflection as it moved beyond ethnic barriers. I've seen it with my own name. My name's Benjamin, but I grew up in Texas. And as I had friends from Mexico, they would call me Benjamin because the J makes a different kind of sound in Spanish. Your name changes in inflection as it crosses ethnic barriers. And here is 
Saul, he is in his mind a messenger to the Gentiles. He is God's official emissary to the ethnos, to the nations. And so you see, even in his name, he said, my job is to take the message of the Jewish Messiah Jesus to the world. Because this was God's plan A from the beginning of the Bible, that you see that God took a man named Abraham back in the book of Genesis and told him, I'm going to bless you and through your seed, your offspring, I'm going to bless the entire world. Every family of the world will be blessed through your seed. The blessing was coming to the Jew, but it was meant to explode past the banks of their ethnic group to the entire world. And Paul saw that message, the Jewish Messiah, the Christos, the Christ, Jesus, is not just meant for me and my crew. It's meant to jump the banks of every ethnicity and go out to the world. And as he saw himself, he said, this is God's global plan and it's his plan for me. That my job is to take this message out into a broader world and I will have an unbending theology, but a malleable strategy. And you see, Paul is willing to see anything in his life be rearranged so that the people of the world might know Jesus, even his name, that I am Paul and I am the apostle. That word apostle was originally about a ship that would carry cargo from one nation to the next. I have something of value that I'm bringing to you. And then it began to carry the idea of an emissary, that I have taken a message from one king and I am carrying it to deliver it to you. It's not my message. I didn't come up with it. I am the transport through which this edict from the king arrives to you. And Paul saw himself and he says, I am an apostle. I'm an emissary of Christ Jesus. Notice he puts the Christ first. And some of you may go, well, yeah, what's that about? I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. Why did he put it first? No, it's the man's title. In Hebrew, it was Messiah, the anointed one, the king. As it crossed into Greek, it was Christos, the anointed one, the hero of the story. And Paul looks and he says, I am the official emissary of your king and mine, Jesus, our hero. Why does he identify himself this way? Notice he doesn't call Timothy an apostle or Epaphras. That was Paul's official calling under God. And he's using that official language because I think he needed to put his stamp of approval on the ministry of Epaphras. So he's writing with his official apostolic letterhead to say what Epaphras taught you was true and some other things that you're thinking are not helpful. And so here Paul puts his entire weight behind it and he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. God wanted me to deliver this message to you. God made it this way. It's by his thelema, his desire, that this message is coming to you. And Paul saw his life and he said, I have a purpose. I didn't generate, it came from heaven. It's the same for him and for you. Now, Paul may have had some specificity in that calling you don't have, but God has a purpose for all of our lives. And Paul saw that. Jesus changed me for a purpose. And my purpose is to take this message of Jesus beyond the banks of my ethnic and communal crowd, beyond my little tribe. I'm meant to send it out across the tribes of the world for his glory. That's my calling. And God has a calling on your life and mine today as well. And you see it in these next few verses. He says, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was half Jewish and half Gentile. 
which at times was a tough spot for young Tim. It meant in this context, he wasn't always accepted in either community. But I want you to notice, Paul calls him our brother. That our association with Jesus Christ changes our association with each other. That God is sending out this message. And one of the implications of this message is Jesus is building a family. That men from Jerusalem and Lystra and Colossae and all around the world are being knit together into a family because of the work of Jesus. And not just a family, notice in verse 2, he says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. We have a message about a man. And that message is we are family because of him. And we are holy. That's the word saint. It means set apart. That in the Old Testament, God designated his Jewish people. You are holy, set apart to me. And God made a covenant with them. I am binding myself to you, which was radical in that day. Many people believed in the gods, but the gods were capricious, didn't care about you. You just did sacrifices to try to placate them so they wouldn't hurt you. But the Jew had the audacity to say, no, there is one God who rules over all, and yet he stoops down to know us and to care and binds himself in covenant with us because he loves you. So radical, so scandalous, so unbelievable, but so true that the maker of the heavens and earth is building a family. And he's looking at people and saying, I want you to be holy unto me. I want you to be set apart to know the God who made you, that God is on the move to take people from all over the world and to knit them together into a family. How does it happen? to the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus was asked one time, what is the will of the Father? What does God want? And he said, believe in the one that he sent. What does God want for you today? You fix your eyes on him, that Jesus Christ is the God-man come to change things for you and for me and for all the world. And Paul is preaching this message and it landed in this community. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. What has Jesus brought? What's the message Paul's preaching? It's grace, kindness, not judgment, not condemnation, but the smile of God is available for you today. Uh, C.S. Lewis use the old illustration of how could Hamlet meet Shakespeare? How could Hamlet, a character in a play, ever meet Shakespeare, the author of the play? He can't unless Shakespeare writes himself into the play. And you and I can't know God. He is unknowable to us unless he chooses to condescend to reach us. And here the fantastic news Paul is celebrating is the God of all things is bringing his kindness to us. That I can be your father, the father of Jew and Gentile, of Greek and Phrygian, that I can be your dad. Through the kindness available in Jesus Christ, you can have peace, peace with God. You can know you're okay, peace within yourself. Peace within humanity. Shalom. It doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means the presence of flourishing. That peace is available today through the message of Jesus 
Christ. This message that Paul's proclaiming is such good news. Why? Because it makes us holy to God and it makes us family with each other. That Paul's and Timothy's and Epaphras' have a place together, once far apart, now a family. We've got some friends that even now are adopting a son from India. That son was in a very difficult and fragile situation. And yet this family set their love on him and is bringing them into their family. And even now sent a video of him laughing and enjoying and being fed and cared for. And you see he's being knit together with their biological children, their adopted children, that they're building a loving, joyful family because of the kindness of these parents. And that's what Paul's celebrating here, that God is knitting together a family because of the grace of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And this message is deeply personal. You see it in verse three. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. As a Jew, Paul had developed the rhythm of praying three times a day, morning, noon, and night, each for an hour. Paul prayed three hours a day, which for some of us sounds crazy until you think about the fact that you and I average spend three and a half hours on our phone every single day. The average American looks at their phone for three and a half hours every day. Not talk on their phone, not do work on a screen, look at your phone. What you think about will be what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. And some of us feel frustration that we don't feel like we're advancing as people or advancing spiritually, and yet it's your inputs that determine your outputs. How could Paul know God so deeply? He lingered in the presence of God for three hours a day. For many of us, we linger in the chaos of our phones and wonder why we're anxious. The inputs determine the outputs. What you think about will shape what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. And Paul had set his mind on God three hours a day. And for some of us, it's time to advance in our lingering before the Almighty, to slow down so we can spring up. And as Paul did that, he would pray for this community. And as he prayed for them, he said, I'm constantly thanking God for you. I'm thanking God for you all the time. Why is that? He said, because I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. He said, I heard about it because I hadn't met you, but I heard you trusted Jesus Christ. That's what God wants, that you would trust his son, the emissary he sent to bring you into relationship with him. You put your trust in Christ Jesus, not in a philosophy, not in an ideology, not in a political system. You operate in live and move within this man, Jesus Christ. And that has produced a love for all the saints. Paul told the Galatians later, nothing matters except faith working itself out through love. How do you know you have real faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in him becomes love. That as I trust him, I care about the other people who trust him too. My trust in him becomes love for others. Faith becomes love. And I won't belabor this because we did a whole talk on this in our previous series. He says, this faith and this love is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's interesting when the Bible talks about hope, it can talk about the internal feeling of hope or it can talk about the external reality of what you're hoping in. And here he says, your hope is laid up in heaven. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to give you a relationship with God that is secure forever. I think Paul mentions it here because you find out later this false teaching that moved into the Colossians said, you're not okay. And so you need to do some work or else God will be disappointed in you. 
You live under the frown of heaven unless you hustle. I remember when I was a college minister, first moving into College Station, I knew some young guys who had began with Christ. They had put their faith in him. And yet someone began to teach them, you don't know if you're really saved unless you're really out there fully committed to him. And if you're never fully committed, if you say no to him at once, God does no. And they began to feel all this pressure of I have to perform in order to get the approval of God. And for some of them, they would be out at midnight, one o'clock in the morning at a Walmart, handing out gospel tracts, not because of a love for Christ or because they wanted other people to know him. It was because of a terror that if they don't keep performing, that God's gonna dismiss them. And man, if you think that you're always insecure, you can't be a loving person. Insecurity leads to self-absorption. If I'm insecure and have a scarcity mindset, I gotta worry about me to make sure I'm okay. But if you're secure, you're free to be generous. And here Paul tells them, your hope is laid up in heaven. It's secure. Your approval to God is fixed in the heavenly. And when you have that security, that hope becomes love. Now I'm not running around just worried about myself, how to make myself secure. I know I'm secure. And so now I'm liberated to trust God in the present and to care about you. You see it in the world today. The most loving and generous children, statistically over and over again, are the ones that are in stable homes where they know they're loved by their parents. When they are confident in that stability, It liberates them to be caring for others. And here he says, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not worried if the gods are okay with you. You can know, you can know today you have peace with God because of the finished work of Jesus. And when you have that security, my hope is fixed in the heavens, that liberates you to be loving. How did they land in this place? He says, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing. He says, this was so personal to you. Did you see the repetition of the word your? This message came to you. That Epaphras came to you and he gave you a message about a man, the God-man Jesus who lived the perfect life you could not, died the death you deserved, rose in payment over your sin that when you put your faith in him, then you know I'm fully forgiven. I am part of God's family. I'm not trying to earn my place in his family. I have it. I'm secure as a son or a daughter of the king. I can trust Jesus. And when I do, he's knit me together with his family, this beautiful community. And I get to love each other as we walk into the future he has for us, the purpose he has for us, this message that's in him moving forward, that I have hope and that gives me faith And that gives me love. And he said, that message came to you. But then he says, it's not just personal. He says, it's come to you. And indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul looks at them and says, hey, what happened to you in Colossae? Let me just pull the lens back and tell you, it's happening in the whole world. The message of Jesus Christ is advancing across ethnic barriers, across national borders, across tribal tribal separations. The gospel is advancing. And let me tell you some good news today, friend. That's true today too. That look, I know we read the news all the time and it's just depression on repeat, anxiety and constant replay. But let me tell you something. It's fascinating to think that as Paul was writing this, Nero was coming into power in Rome. 
Nero, who was slaughtering his enemies. Nero, whose moral decadence was leading Rome into destruction. But Nero would have made the front page every single day. Paul was just some guy writing letters in a prison cell. But I promise you, if I asked any of you to fill a three-by-five card with facts about Nero, you couldn't do it. No one cares about Nero. But the words of Paul have changed the world. Sometimes the spotlight's not shining on where the real action is. And if your life is filled with anxiety and anger right now because of all the headlines, as we move to the end of this, can I tell you, maybe you're missing a bigger story because the headlines may not show you what God is up to. But this personal message of Jesus Christ, building a holy family, it is bearing fruit and increasing all around the world. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell regularly publishes the status of global Christianity, and they put out this last year that globally there are 7.7 billion people on the planet, and of the 7.7 billion, 2.5 billion identify as Christian. Roughly a third of the planet now says, I belong to Jesus Christ. And as you look at it, Christianity is currently growing faster than the world population. That on the planet right now, the number of people who identify with Jesus Christ is growing faster than the population in the world. And it's not just about fertility rates. People who claim Jesus are having more kids. That's not it. That the world population is growing, but the number of people who are putting their faith in Jesus is growing. And particularly, the subsets of Christianity are growing are those that preach this gospel of faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin to be adopted by God for his glory. This message is on the move. And as they look at this study, they saw that atheism has really peaked in its numbers. That atheism, the lack of belief in any God, has peaked. It's not growing. And yet Christianity is not just growing, it is outstripping the world population. And let me tell you something. It's not Eurocentric religion either. The center of Christianity is moving, and even now it's moving to the global south. It's fascinating. Pew Research did a study of the Christian population in the world, and they put out this fascinating study. You know, I'll get to it in a second, but if you look at where the center of Christianity is located, at the very beginning, it began in the Middle East, in Jerusalem. Then it drifted through Asia, places like Ephesus and Colossae over to Rome and then really landed in Europe, shifting to North America. But now as you see the center of Christianity, it is no longer in Europe or North America. It is increasingly in the global south. And in 2010, one quarter of the global population of Christians was in Europe. One quarter was in Latin America and the Caribbean. One quarter was in sub-Saharan Africa. 13% in Asia. 12% in North America. So think about that. A quarter of Christianity is on this part of the world. A quarter in that part. A quarter in that part. What do you see? That this religion was never just kind of built on one ethnicity or one particular tribe. That Jesus Christ came from the Jewish people in order to be the Messiah of all people. That through the seed of Abraham, the nations would be blessed. That it jumps the banks of all of our boundaries to knit together a holy global family for his glory. That's what started 
in Paul's day and it continues in our day. We are not a regional or local or Eurocentric religion. We are a global movement celebrating the person of Jesus. It began in Paul's day and he says this gospel is continuing to bear fruit and increase across the globe and it's doing it now. You see, when a tree drops a piece of fruit, it has seed within it. But when that fruit hits the ground, that seed doesn't just bear another piece of fruit. An apple doesn't become another apple. That apple falls, and as the seed goes into the dirt, it becomes another apple tree that produces more apples, that drops apples, seeds that become more trees. And you see, as the gospel begins to bear fruit in our lives of good works, it begins to launch other trees that begin to produce more fruit and you see exponential increase in the world and you see it even today that the 10 countries with the largest Christian population are the United States, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, the Philippines, Nigeria, China, the Congo, Germany, Ethiopia, What's the common denominator? None! That the largest Christian populations are spread out across the globe because Jesus Christ is building a global family for his glory, holy unto him. It's bearing fruit and increasing. And let me tell you something. We've seen this here at Passion. That as we did conference in January, just a month ago, hundreds of thousands of people around the globe joined us in worshiping God. It's amazing. One of our team was in kind of our, um, I don't know what you call it, our, our technical hub in the back room as conference was happening in the beginning of January. And he said, Ben, it was the most amazing place to stand. There were screens all over this room showing us where all these people were zooming in from to join us at Passion this year. And he said, Ben, I'm looking at a screen and it wasn't just individuals on their laptops. Group had got, groups had gotten together. And he said, I was looking at a screen in this moment of prayer and there was Algeria and Azerbaijan and a group in Austria and a group in uh, Australia. And he said, Ben, I was just in the A's. And I'm seeing crowds of people seeking Jesus Christ together. And then you look and he said, we had 500,000 people at the beginning of this year from all over the world at Passion Conference, just one little slice of Jesus' global family. And yet all over the globe gathered together in Jesus' name. Did you hear about it in the news? No, but let me tell you something. The globe is seeking Jesus because he sought us. This gospel is bearing fruit and it's increasing just as it's done it among you. And let me tell you something, we're seeing it here. You saw that. Obviously, coronavirus has been a major disruption and a major tragedy. But even as we exit our second year of existence in D.C. and move towards our third year of existence, our reach has quintupled this year. And yes, we want this virus to go away and life to change. And yet we look and say, even in our little slice of this little slice, we see the gospel bearing fruit and increasing God is on the move, building a family. It's global, but it's also very personal. God's coming for you, and he's coming for me. It's fascinating. Christianity Today put out a, a prayer list from Open Doors Ministry, praying over different parts of the world. And they were talking about in Iran, 
ministers there felt that, man, there's a longing for Christ. And so they decided to up their evangelistic programs and to try to teach people to share the gospel of Jesus. And they said, we were seeing anywhere from 20 to 50 people a week put their faith in Jesus. Individuals longing to know God, seeing they don't have to find a way up to him. He came down to us. And they said, as we taught people to share their faith, they said, suddenly this last May, we went from around 50 people a week to 500 people a week, putting their faith in Jesus. They said, now we're running an average of two to 300 people in Iran saying, I want him. And even in our country, modern statistics even now are showing that Gen Z is a generation that says we're unaffiliated religiously, and yet they're also disconnected socially and are being dubbed the loneliest generation. And in recent surveys of young people, you see there's a longing for spiritual and relational connection. We were made for God. And this message has been bearing fruit and increasing around the globe. It's global, but it's also very personal. And so Paul says, it's doing this among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he made known to us your love in the Spirit. This gospel's bearing fruit and increasing around the world, and it wants to bear fruit and increase in you. What do you need to do? Hear the message that you're not okay. All of us are broken because of sin. And God has a solution. He sent a Savior, the Messiah, the King, Jesus Christ. And when you hear that message of grace, you don't earn heaven. It's a gift as a powerful God stoops in love to redeem you. When you hear the truth of the grace of God, you learn it and then you put your faith in him. The love of God through his Holy Spirit lands in you. Faith in Jesus becomes love for God, love for others because of a hope that your future is secure. It's a global message, and it's a personal one for all of us who believe. God is on the move, and he is moving in the lives of those who have stepped into the wake of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? He's our message. He's our hope. And all of your growth and advancement in life is going to come in him and through him. We grow to the degree that we grow in Him. We move to the degree we move in Him. The best thing we can offer you today, church, is Him. Do you know Him? Let me challenge you this spring. Sink your roots deep into the soil of this Word and let spring up in you the fruit that's born of those who were rooted deep in Him. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.